0: Would you rise, if you're able, for the reading of God's word? It's found on page 886 in the Pew Bible. And we're reading John, first chapter 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why are you baptizing if you are, not, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: It's John chapter 1. So, who am I? I am firefighter. So what do I do? I fight fires. If I was a doctor, I would tend to to try to help them get healthy. If I was a policeman, I would police and try to keep people safe. Our identity determines our mission. We need to know who we are. And once we know who we are, Then we know how we should live, where we should be investing our lives. This morning, we look at a man named John the Baptist. He knew his identity, and his identity determined what his life was about, what his message was. So the question for us this morning is, who are you? And what difference does that make in your life? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servants like John. May we learn from him this morning, but most of all learn from your spirit, that your spirit would speak to each one of us to give us an understanding of who we are in your eyes. And therefore, we would dedicate our lives living out that identity. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. This morning we pick up our series in the Gospel of John that we took a short break from when we did a five-week series on prayer. And so what we learned in the prologue of John in these first 18 verses, we learned about the Word who is Jesus. And there were audacious claims about this person. I mean, it said that he was the light. That he was the logos. He is the one who gives purpose in life and makes sense of all of life. He himself is life. And he created all things. And he is eternally existent and has been with God from before history itself. And that he is God. These are unbelievable claims. And there are many who look at them as fanciful. It's a fairy tale. So, how can you prove all of these claims are true? And John in his gospel is up to the task. Even as he speaks about these Audacious Claims of Jesus in the Prologue, twice he mentions the one who is the testifier to Jesus and these claims. And now in verse 19, he unpacks, he begins to unpack the message of this man, who this man is, this John the Baptist. And so we see in this chapter that we see his identity, And his mission, and a big part of his mission, was to be the voice of God that pointed out to everyone the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, some people might say, well, how can you take the word of a fanatic out in the wilderness if he ever even really existed? Well, John the Baptist was not seen as a fanatic. John the Baptist was a historical figure who was highly esteemed. When the religious leaders come to Jesus in the book of Matthew and they say, by what authority do you do the things you do? And Jesus turned that back on them and said, by what authority does John the Baptist make his claims. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, feeling trapped, they consult with each other, they get into the huddle, and they say, what what can we say to this? Um, If we say, John the Baptist's authority was from God, then then Jesus has got us. Because he'd simply say, well, why don't you believe him? Uh, But on the other hand, if we say, John the Baptist wasn't from God. That's going to really rile up all the people because they so highly esteem him. They think he's the voice of God, they think he's a prophet, so we can't diss John the Baptist. And so their answer is "Uh, we don't know. But what that shows you is how highly John the Baptist and his words were treasured even by the enemies of Jesus. And yes, indeed, he was a historical figure. Josephus, an ancient historian of Jewish history, said he ventured that the defeat of Herod's army possibly was because Herod had executed John the Baptist. These are his words. When the others gathered around John, greatly stirred as they listened to his words. Herod was afraid that his great persuasive powers over men might lead to a rising, for they seemed ready to follow John's counsel and everything. Accordingly, he thought the best course was to arrest him and put him to death before he caused a riot, rather than wait until a revolt broke out and then have to repent of permitting such trouble to arise. Because of this suspicion, on Herod's part, John was sent in chains to the fortress of Machaerus, and there put to death. The Jews, therefore, thought that the destruction of Herod's army was the punishment deliberately sent upon them by God to avenge John. Josephus is no friend of Christianity, but he is a friend of history. John was highly esteemed. His word was listened to. He was seen as a prophet. And this is what we hear him saying at the end of this morning's passage. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, God said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The truth of Christianity does not simply rest on the beautiful teachings of Jesus Christ. It rests on historical events. John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus, Jesus' miracles, the fulfillment of prophecies, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. The voice of God spoke to John the Baptist, and he broke through all of our voices because it's the voice of God, and said, Jesus is the one. All these audacious claims about Jesus are true. So now let's take a look at John. The religious leaders continually heard about this fanatic out in the wilderness, this this kind of crazy man who was dressed in camel's hair and he ate locusts and honey. They heard about him because there were hundreds and perhaps thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of people going out, traveling mile after mile after mile to get to the Jordan River to this John who was baptizing people. And... The movement was so great that the religious leaders could not ignore it. And so we'll see in this passage they actually sent out two teams to try to ascertain who who this guy is and why is he drawing so many people because they didn't send him out there. And so we see that they are trying to ascertain his identity. We see John revealing his identity to us. And so we read in John 1, 19 and 20. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed. He did not deny. He confessed. I am not the Christ. Now notice, he immediately defines his identity in light of who Jesus is. And it's something that we should be doing. Defining our identity in light of Christ. And his comment is, I am not the Christ. I am not the one. I do not want you to mistake me for the Messiah because I am not him. And, uh, I heard this tremendous sermon from uh, Gordon Hugenberger that he spoke to the graduating class of Gordon-Conwell Seminary as they were sending out uh, these new students to be pastors. And he preached this passage, I am not the Christ. And throughout the message, he had all the graduating students say, I am not the Christ. And then you preach some more and they say, I am not the Christ. And some more, I am not the Christ. And of course he's trying to get across a point. He's trying to get across the point that pastors shouldn't think they are the Christ. It's a good message for graduated students. It's a good message for associate pastors who are voted in as pastors. Uh, it's a good message for each one of us. And what it does is it reminds us, on one hand, let's not exalt ourselves. Let's not make our lives about ourselves. We're not the Christ. He is to be the center of our lives. We are to be those who are pointing to Him. So never exalt ourselves, and may a congregation never exalt anyone as though. They were the Christ. Uh, Hugenberger in another talk on the same message spoke about how he used to go through the yellow pages and he'd see the names of churches and he said, and you'd often see the pastor's name listed. Uh, Jesus was never listed, but the pastor's name was listed, right? Um, I am not the Christ. You are not the Christ. But there's the flip side of that is don't have such high expectations of yourself that you think you could do everything Jesus does. Uh, so, as you look at the pastors, realize we're not the Christ. Do not exalt us. At the other hand, uh, don't become so critical of us as though we are the Christ and we can accomplish everything and we can walk on water. Uh, and that's the same again for each one of us that realize. Don't get so full of yourself that you think it's about you. On the other hand, don't get so down on yourself because you don't measure up to Jesus Christ. So he starts with his identity, I am not the Christ. And so the religious leaders are trying to figure out then, as it says in verse 21, they asked him, What then? are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. So the religious leaders trying to figure out, and they first ask the question, are you Elijah? And what they mean there is they're referencing the last chapter of the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, the second and third last verses of the entire uh, Old Testament speak about this figure Elijah coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord and how he is going to call people back to God, back to the Lord. And everyone knew Elijah is the, is the one who's going to be pointing people to Messiah. And so they're wondering, are you Elijah? But he says, no. What's interesting is in the book of Matthew, Jesus says John the Baptist is Elijah. And so how, how do we put these two uh, claims together? Well, it's because those who are asking the question are thinking of Elijah the Tishbite, the Old Testament prophet that he, is, he never died. I mean, he was taken up into heaven. So they were thinking Elijah was going to come back before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And essentially what John is saying is, I'm not that Elijah. I'm not a reincarnation, or I am not Elijah come back out of heaven. And what Jesus is referring to, yes, Elijah is coming to point to the Messiah. John the Baptist comes in that spirit of Elijah as a great prophet. And indeed, he is the one pointing to me. And so what's happened is the Old Testament ends with Malachi and then there is silence from God for 500 years. And what we see in the Gospels, the first figure who breaks out is this one who comes in Elijah's spirit, John the Baptist. But he says, no, I'm I'm not Elijah. They say, well, then are you the prophet? And this is a reference to a prophecy that Moses made. He spoke about a great prophet who would come. And people understood that prophet in different ways. In fact, uh, one commentator said, I haven't been able to check this out, but one commentator said that uh, Muslims see Mohammed as the fulfillment of this prophet. But that gives you a sense of how they, they see him not necessarily as the Messiah. Jesus will later point out that he, or excuse me, Peter points out in the book of Acts that Jesus is that prophet. He is the fulfillment of that prophet. So John is saying, nope, I'm not the prophet either. Not Christ, not Elijah, not the prophet. And so we read the most natural question in the next verses. So they say to him... uh, who are you then? Are we, we need to give an answer because th- to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And now he gives his identity. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John now reveals his identity. I'm the voice. Not like the TV show. I'm the voice And we've already seen in chapter 1, Jesus is the Word. So he is that voice to proclaim Jesus Christ, to bring us to the Word. He is the fulfillment of what who Isaiah pointed to, who Isaiah said would be coming, make straight the way of the Lord. Notice again. John the Baptist, defines his identity in light of Jesus. I'm the voice. Speaking out. Telling everyone, this is the Messiah. Uh, Just a little bit of an aside here. Where it says that he comes to prepare the way of the Lord, that's pretty significant. Because There are many people who don't think Jesus is God himself. For instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus might be a divine-like figure, but he's not God. And one of their proofs is, they'll say, even though the New Testament writers might use the word God for Jesus, they never call him by the personal name of God. They never call him Jehovah, which we really now know better Uh, transliteration of the name is Yahweh. He may be called God, he may be called this divine kind of figure, but he's not called Yahweh the personal God. And there's a reason for that. The word Yahweh doesn't show up in the New Testament. God himself is never called Yahweh in the New Testament. Instead, he is called Adonai, which sometimes translates Lord, Master, and sometimes translates the personal name of God, Yahweh. So you have to know the context. Well, what's interesting is I've had conversations with the Jehovah's Witness, and they'll say Jesus is never called Yahweh so I'll bring them to this passage, and I'll say, uh, John, John, John the Baptist is saying, I make straight the way of the Lord. Who, whose way is he making? And they'll say, well, the Jesus is well. I'll say, well, you know, this word is Adonai, but what Old Testament word does it translate? And you can guess, Yahweh. So Jesus is actually called Yahweh. But that's just an aside. Let's get back to the identity of Jesus. Excuse me, John the Baptist. Okay. He defines himself again in light of Jesus Christ. And that will impact his mission. That will impact everything he does in life. So who are you? Where do we get our identity from? And if you, our culture today seems to look at uh, how people view them, which, of course, different people view us in different ways, our personal subjective feelings about ourselves. You know, if, some, if I fa- fail a test or something, I'm going to say, I am stupid. I'm stupid. Or if I'm very successful, I said, I'm a genius. I am wonderful uh, Of course, the next day you could flunk the test, and you know. So our our sense of identity keeps changing, and very often it is based today on what we are feeling or what our passions are. And what's interesting is, this was debunked centuries ago by a David Hume philosopher, David Hume, who arguably is. He's the first, or at least the predecessor, to the humanists. He, he did not have a faith in uh, objective truth coming from God. And his view is described in this way. The perception of self is a subjective interpretation of reality. It is necessarily colored by the subject's own preconceived notions of self. For followers of Hume... A true objective observation of reality is impossible. So what's he said? He's saying, you can't know who you are. You can have no identity because you are basing it on subjective feelings. And your subjective feelings are not right and they change all the time. So how can you base your identity on something that is subjective? And because he doesn't believe in an objective truth, he doesn't see it how we can any of us can find our identity. But see, what he's missing is God. See, God is our objective truth. So if we want to understand who we are, we need to understand who God says we are. The first thing God says we are is we are created in the image of God. That's who you are. That's who I am. Now, I am far from experiencing that and living that out. There is so much about me that does not look like God. But the image of God is essentially his image, is we are to be mirror representations of the character of God. So our true identity, my true identity is not all that sinful Bruce that's out there, all those sinful feelings that Bruce has, the real identity is on the image of god and all of that is not the true bruce it's a twisted bruce for defining our identity in light of god it is also we are beloved by god this whole sermon series is god so loves based on john 3:16 god so loves the world He loves us so much, he gave his son to die for us. That's our identity. The author of the book, John, makes that his identity. He doesn't give his own name. When he refers to himself, he constantly says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wasn't being arrogant, saying, Jesus loves me more than you. (laughs) What he was saying was, here's my name. Our name is our identity. My identity is I am loved by Jesus. And the third identity, John's identity was, I'm the voice that prepares the way for Jesus. Paul will say of believers in Jesus, you're ambassadors for Christ. We are those who prepare the way. So we see John's identity, and his identity impacts his mission. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. This is a uh, quote from, from Isaiah chapter 40, speaking of this voice. And this is the context of the voice. Preparing the way of the Lord, as Isaiah 40 says, it says, lowering the mountains, filling up the valleys, making pathways straight. And D.A. Carson's captures this pretty succinctly. In the original context, the Old Testament prophet is calling for a leveling of the hills and valleys, a straightening of the curves to accommodate the return of the covenant people, the Jewish people, from their exile. But even in Isaiah, the end of the exile begins to serve as a model, a literary type of the final return to the Lord, far greater than a return to geographical Jerusalem. What's he saying? He's saying the original meaning of this passage is, and, and put yourself in the place of the Jewish people. Your, your temple is destroyed. Your people are, are slaughtered. You are taken and in prisoner into a faraway land. And there you are oppressed. The government doesn't care about you. It cares about itself and its own people, but not you because you're not one of those people. But God then prepares the way He has a voice that's saying, there is, you are coming back. And God prepares the way and they come back and they come back into their land. They are restored to God. They're restored to one another. It's a time of celebration and rejoicing. And John is saying, that's a picture of what God wants in your life. You are away from God. Come. Come. I'm preparing the way for you to come back to God and that way you're coming back through Jesus Christ. And so, because he's the one who's the voice that prepares the way, he is going to prepare the way for Jesus and he does that by baptizing people. Now, baptism was not something that John invented. The Jewish people would, bapt- would have and require Gentiles who converted to Judaism to baptize themselves. If, if you were a Gentile, and you might have been a, a polytheist worshiping a number of gods, and then you became convinced Yahweh is the one true God, and you wanted to unite with the Jewish people in belief of the Yahweh, they would make you baptize yourself. Cleanse yourself, because the Jewish people saw Gentiles as filthy, unclean, unworthy dogs. And so the only baptism they knew was sinful, ugly, dirty, filthy dogs being baptized. But John's doing something different. He's saying to the Jewish people, you need that cleansing. You need are what you think the Gentiles are. You are sinful and separated from God. You need a cleansing. That's not popular today. It wasn't popular then. Uh, think of the Pharisee that Jesus uh, imagines in his parable the Pharisee that goes up and prays, Oh God, thank you that you didn't make me like all of these sinners or like this tax collector next to me. But God, thank you, you made me such a great man of God who worships you and prays regularly all the time and ties everything right down to the, to the mint and cumin. Look at look at me. See this was not popular to the religious leaders. It's not popular today because we don't think we're sinful, needing cleansing. But I just ask you this. Look around the world. I have these conversations with Karen sometimes. When you hear of the the latest mass killing or these uh, sex trafficking, or, uh, you know, people stealing money, the calls you get, especially when you're older, to try to trick you to give all your money away. You know, the government's about to throw you in prison, so call me back. You know, we see all these things. And so I'll often say to her, what would this world be like if man wasn't basically good? Well, it would be pretty horrible, wouldn't it? But I think but we're realizing the world is like this because we are not basically good. We have sin, and we need to be cleansed. And John the Baptist is saying that. You need to be cleansed. And you know, that prepares the way to the Lord because he's going to point them to a Savior. And nobody's going to accept a Savior unless they believe they need to be saved. If you're a great swimmer and you're out there swimming in the ocean and just languishing out there, and all of a sudden this lifeguard jumps into the water, swims out to you, starts to grab you by the neck, and you know you're struggling with him, and he's, he's going to save you. You would think that you're going to fight him, and you're going to think the guy's crazy. You don't need to be saved. What is this guy doing? There's a lot of people who don't think they need to be saved and Christians are out there saying, you know, you have sin that's separated from you from God and you need a savior. And they think, you're crazy. But if you're out there and you are drowning, you don't know how to swim and you're over your head and you're crying out, help me, help me. And that lifeguard leaps into the water, swims out there, Puts his arm around you and pulls you in. You are going to be forever grateful because you knew you needed a Savior. John's role is to say, You're drowning. You can't swim. You can't save yourself. He prepares the way for the lifeguard, and that's exactly what he gives us in his message. Verse 21 The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let let that settle in for a moment. If you believe you've sinned, that you're not that person you were created to be, you've made yourself the center of your life, and you realize this is not pleasing to God, you know you're made in God's image, but you are so far from God's image, And you realize you you can't save yourself. Think of what these words mean. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took all of our sins, the weight of them upon himself, and he had to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is because Bruce's sin is on him. hope those words the Lamb of God our hearts are never cauterized to them because we say them so much May every time we see those words remind us how desperately we need forgiveness Martin Luther I read this before said this doubt not that you are the one who killed Jesus your sin certainly did and when you see the nails driven through his hands, be sure you are pounding. And when the thorns pierce his brow, know that they're your evil thoughts. Consider that if one thorn pierced Christ, you deserve 100,000. When we begin to understand that, we say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Jesus doesn't just remove our sin to bring us back to him, to get us a ticket into heaven or an audience in in the, the presence of the King of Kings. John also references the fact, he says, I baptize in water, but the one coming, he baptizes in the Spirit of God. You know, we just talked about part of our identity is being the image of God and we're not that image of God? Well, Jesus has given every believer in Jesus Christ the spirit of God to live within him, to make those transformations so we can become more and more the people that God intended us to be, the people we know in our hearts we want to be. There were a number of things I wanted before I knew Jesus. One of them was I knew I wasn't the person I should be. I knew I didn't have the thoughts. I knew I wasn't doing the things. I was the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 who said, I don't do the things I know I should be doing. And I do those things I know I shouldn't be doing. I don't think the things I should be thinking. I know I'm thinking the things. I know my passions aren't always what they should be. And, uh, and I know they're often what they shouldn't be. Who will save me from this? Wretched death, and the answer is Jesus Christ. Not just by forgiving us, but by giving us the Holy Spirit to begin to work in us to become the people we were meant to be and so desire to be. Who are you? When you answer that question, it will determine how you live and what your life is about. And I'll say, you're the image of God. So let come to Christ. Let the Spirit of God transform you into that image. Walk with Christ. You are beloved by God. You are beloved just as you are. That means spend time with Him. Learn more and more about that love. Feel that love. And let it draw you to love him more. And third, you're ambassador for Christ. You are one preparing the way. We want to reach Metro West for Christ. Only the Spirit of God can do that. But we can prepare the way. Too often we as Christians don't prepare the way for people to know Jesus. We put obstacles in the way of people knowing Jesus Some of the biggest criticisms of Christians are our hypocrisy. It's an obstacle. People look at us and they say, your life's no, the, the life of those people is no different than, than anyone else. And they, they proclaim to live so wonderfully. They, they teach these wonderful truths about love and they don't live them at all. Look at the division in churches. Look how many churches have been split. Look at the way they talk about one another, gossip. They're hypocrites. It's an obstacle. Our intolerance. Christians are hateful people. They, They are intolerant. They speak so poorly and evilly of other people. It's an obstacle. Christians are arrogant, they're proud, they think they're better than everyone else. They're a special class looking down on everybody else. It's an obstacle. Instead, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that we are so loved by God he sent us son, teaches us we can admit our sin to God Therefore, we can live authentically with other people as well. No hypocrisy. Authenticity. Because the gospel is for everyone. The whole world, it says right here. That means God's love for people who live differently from all of us is just as great for them as it is for us. So we can love them as God loves them. In our arrogance, we are better. The gospel says, no, you are sinners. You are such sinners, it took the death of God to get you back to him. When we believe that, how can we think we're better than anyone else? The gospel can transform our lives So instead of being obstacles, we will prepare the way for people to meet Jesus Christ. Who are you? Our Father, we thank you for your word, for your truth. Uh, it's, It's so wonderful that we have this model. May we take what your Spirit is saying to us this morning to heart. Transform us into the image of Christ which is the greatest pathway to Christ. Amen.